All right, let's be seated. Worship team, you are good. You are good. Oh, it's great to be together this morning in the Big Apple. Uh, we can be opening our Bibles to the book of John in chapter 10. And if you're just joining us, either online or in person, we've been studying out this incredible story of Jesus, this gospel, this good news about the man that we worship from 2,000 years ago. And uh, we've been working through chapter by chapter. And we are already in chapter 10. Can you believe it? That's amazing. We're almost halfway through the book. Last week, we uh, saw Jesus heal a man born blind. And we learned that it's one of the signs of what this Messiah might be doing when he shows up. That this person that was foretold for generations upon generations would do different things. They would free captives. They would heal the blind. There would be these miraculous signs. And what's happening as we get into chapter 10 is the tension is rising because there are more and more signs that are looking like this is the man. You know, in, next week we'll be in chapter 11 with the resurrection of Lazarus, which for us will be Easter Sunday. And I'm very excited to get ready to celebrate Easter with you all. So we're still in Jerusalem at this time, and we're nearing the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and there is this debate happening between Jesus and these Jerusalem Jews called Pharisees. And it's really at boiling point because basically Jesus and what he stands for is threatening everything that these guys lived for. Because if it's true that he's the foretold Messiah, then there's really not a need for these religious interpreters and leaders anymore. So what we're going to see right now is we're going to ask this question as we're about to read the text. Does Jesus back off the message? Does he keep it the same? Or does he put his foot on the gas? You ready? John chapter 10 in verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the, by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. All right, let's take a little break. Now, you and I are privy to what's going on here. He's starting to uh, paint a picture of the tension that we were talking about in the last chapter and even the chapter before it. Does it look like Jesus is backing off his message? No. Now, the Pharisees don't realize that yet, but they're about to, right? He actually revs up the gospel engine even louder than before. Here, Christ is painting an allegory. And let me break this down a little bit. I know how much you guys love to study the Bible and its different genres and the different ways to understand it. And so it's important to recognize the distinction between an allegory and a parable. There are no parables in the Gospel of John. And so it's interesting here because we even have in the NIV this figure of speech. What's going on? Well, in this case, the allegory is a story that's going to reveal some hidden meaning. And even already you can see the Pharisees don't get it, 
So there's a hidden meaning that's going to be revealed. A parable, by contrast, is actually a very simple story that teaches a spiritual lesson. It's very obvious. So what's the meaning that Jesus is going to reveal about the sheep and the shepherd? Verse 6 says the Pharisees weren't getting it. And so just to help us all make sure we're on the same page, let's keep reading. Verse 7, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And finally, in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All right, so who's the shepherd now? How do you think the Pharisees felt after Jesus clarified with those few more lines. They're starting to feel nervous, right? Why? Well, they thought they were the shepherds. They, they thought they were the gatekeepers. They thought they were guarding the door to God's house. And what is Jesus saying? He's, he's basically saying, no, actually, that's me. So then what does that make them? Not sheep, but bad shepherds. Yeah, someone mentioned thieves. Jesus is starting to get very pointed with his words, right? And as soon as any good Jew would hear this ancient allegory, their minds would start racing and probably go back to the prophets. They would think about Ezekiel 34. What does that say? I'll just cover a couple of these verses. One of the verses is right there in two. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. A little later, it says, you do not take care of the flock, Verse 4, you haven't strengthened the weak, you haven't healed the sick, you haven't bound up the injured, you haven't brought back the strays or searched for the lost, you've ruled them harshly and brutally. And at the end here in verse 10, I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. Now, how are the Pharisees feeling? Now, you might ask, well, why is Jesus being so harsh with these guys? You ever thought that? Only me? All right. I'm like, I mean, I, I get it, right? Like, oh, the Pharisees only have a bad rep, right? And they sort of become the villain of the story. But wait a minute, why? Why, why are they being so intense? Well, I think part of the reason is Jesus felt like he had to stand up for the sheep here. Because in this way, human authorities that abuse power need to be checked. And we can't fix everything Although sometimes we wish we could and we could just snap our fingers and all the injustices would turn to justice. And Jesus, he, he leads us well here to figure out how to do this. You know, for too long, people were coming into the vulnerable space of the temple to the sacred space or even what we might say today is our church. People come in vulnerable. They come in to worship God. They come in to find hospitality and kindness. But too often, people have been taken advantage of by religious leaders, or people in power, or people that were power hungry. So I think one of the reasons Jesus is getting pretty intense here is because he's calling out the bully on the playground and saying, no mas, like, like you are the bad shepherds. Let me be as clear as possible. And what's also clear after this is that's when they start to plot to kill him. They murder him for this. So it's good to know where we're at in the middle of the Gospel of John as we're learning about Jesus. I have two simple points today. 
The good sheep and the good shepherd. The first point, the good sheep. So sheep's in the Bible a lot, over 200 times. Uh, It's an illustration for God's people as his flock. And when you think about any animal that might be used to describe the power of the kingdom of God, it must be an amazing animal. Hail, hail, the lion of Judah. You think of a lion, right? The University of Illinois uh, printed a study, and basically one of the findings of their research was that sheep have lower IQs than pigs. Um, In layman terms, they concluded it might be the absolute dumbest animal in the animal kingdom. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot clean themselves. They cannot defend themselves. They do not have claws. They do not have sharp teeth. They can't really even give you a stank face. The only thing they can do is run, and even they don't run very well. They don't run fast, they don't run well, and they don't run long. You don't hear about sports teams that have sheep as their mascot. We don't sing Hail, Hail, Sheep of Judah. Now, one thing that they do have, they have a good sense of hearing. But what that does is it makes them very afraid of every little noise. In fact, there's evidence that sheep have fallen over and died because a predator made a noise. They are the most sacrificed animal uh, in history because it's so easy to sacrifice them. And they're such a boring animal that people count them to go to sleep. I'm hearing a lot of ahs and oohs and ohs. We're feeling a lot of empathy for the sheep. I'm being too harsh on the sheep. Okay. They're very cute. Is that a superpower? Yes. Um, They do have pretty good peripheral vision. They can see kind of to the right and the left because of the way their eyes are placed. Uh, They can kind of even see what's behind them, which is amazing. But what they cannot do is see what's right in front of them. Sheep have been seen walking in a straight path right into a tree or off a cliff. It's pretty crazy. We are like sheep. You're welcome. (laughs) Sometimes our vision is limited because we're focused on what's happening to our right and to our left, and even sometimes what's happening behind us or in our past, but it's difficult sometimes to see what's right in front of our faces. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, the God of this age has blinded their minds. Blinded their minds. I think it's interesting that Jesus in the last chapter has just healed a blind man. And now he's talking about sheep which can't see what's right in front of them. I feel like there's a theme being worked through here. So what are we not seeing? That's good of us to look at the text and wonder Okay, how can we put ourselves in here? What are we not seeing? How might we be being blinded? How could we be blinded to spiritual truth? I'm just going to suggest one thing that we locals could be blinded about. And I'll make the statement like this. It can be easy to be tempted to think, New York City is just too hard of a place to be a Christian in. It's too worldly, it's too fast, it's too distracting, it's too loud, 
It's just too much. Just trying to do my laundry in this city is a fight. I'm fighting old ladies for dryers, and they're winning. <laughs> trying to get to Brooklyn on a Saturday on the A train, yeah, right, good luck with that. You better get real familiar with the B-54 bus, <laughs> which is really nice, by the way. It just takes a while to find it. And then when you go around the corner to ask an MTA worker where you might find that bus, you wait patiently while he's in a conversation with another MTA worker until they notice you standing politely, even though you're in a real big hurry, and you say, I'm so sorry to interrupt your conversation. Can I ask you a brief question about the bus, the uh, M54 or the B-54, and, and he goes, no, you can't ask. <laughs> and you keep standing there because you hope he's joking, <laughs> but he doesn't act like it's a joke, and he doesn't laugh. He just goes, it's two lights up, and then continues his conversation. So it's hard to live in New York City. It's hard to get around. It's expensive. Can I get an amen on that? It's expensive. You... You can't possibly imagine that you could raise a family in New York City. Man, you definitely can't help anyone become a Christian in New York City. That's impossible. I mean, there's just no faith here. No one cares. Oh, did I mention that was just my list? Yeah, these are the things that tempt me and can get in my head and start playing around. This is the way the world tries to blind me. I don't know what your list is. Maybe there's some overlap. I think it's a real battle. And sometimes I can't see what's right in front of my face. So I'm going to give you three small things that God put right in front of my face to help me combat some of these temptations in my head. Small things. There's big things like my incredible family and this church that I love so much. These are small things. So my son and I were walking down Fifth Ave uh, several weeks ago, and a guy's wallet like flies open, and it was a windy day, and so there was like two wads of money that went in two different directions, and it's New York City, right? And we're watching this from a little distance, wondering what's about to go down. We were a little far to be able to do anything about it to help this guy out, and what you see immediately is the two closest people scattered in the direction that the money was flying. And I thought, oh, this is about to be a really interesting situation. Because they were running towards the money, and I thought they would grab the money and continue running. Both of them ran towards the money, grabbed it, ran towards the guy to make sure he got it back. I'm like, man, I forgot about that, that kindness, that, that New York hospitality. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, second one, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about a guy named Christian that I met uh, over here in the, in the neighborhood, and his name is Christian, and he's like, you know, your name starts with Christ, and he's like, yeah, thank you um, for that, and uh, I said, well, you know, I, I got to tell you about this amazing church that I'm a part of, and he goes, just stop, just stop, nope, no, 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 I shared a little bit about this, so I saw him again in the neighborhood, which, you know, big, big city, little town feel sometimes in New York, and uh, I saw him again, and I just blurted out, hey, Christian, and he turns around, and I thought, there's no way he's going to remember me, or he's going to give me, you know, whatever, uh, stank eye. And, uh, and he looks at me, and he goes, John, right? I said, oh, you remembered me. I said, yeah, absolutely. I was very encouraged by that. <laughs> so it, it could be one of two things. Either he hates me and wants to get away, or he's, 
remembered a nice conversation, and he was very nice afterward. Third thing, I was at a playground with uh, Ross and Maria Woods and their three-year-old Joe uh, yesterday, and uh, it, it was amazing being in a New York playground again after many years. Our kids are a little older now. And just watching, like, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, I mean, just all the kids are together playing soccer, playing basketball, just wrestling, and all the parents are mixing together. And I just, I love that, that we have in the city. It's pretty amazing. And there's little Joe on a scooter, and he's whizzing through soccer games, and, you know, teenagers are playing basketball, and this little, you know, three-year-old, you know, is going around. And I just loved watching, not waiting for disaster to happen, but, like, you know, the kids were so cool, just like, yeah, it's normal. It's New York. What do you expect? You're at a basketball court outside in New York City. There's going to be all kinds of stuff happening. Joe at one point grabbed the uh, goalpost, a little cone, and started <laughs> running away with it. That was what they were playing soccer with. And the teenager that was the goalie was like, uh, hey, can I get that back? And, and Joe was like on his way. He's like, it's fine. It was just so, it was just so perfect. It was so perfect. Then Joe hears an ice cream chuck, and um, he has... Um, almost like a Pavlovian response to the ice cream truck where he starts dancing like this. <laughs> and, and so he's, he's going around to different people and just doing the moves. And so he finds this grown man uh, sitting by the playground, you know, on his phone or whatever. And uh, we can see it from a distance. And Joe goes up to the man and he's trying to communicate, hey, 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 and the ice cream truck. And all that we see from a distance is, and then within seconds, the guy goes. And they're dancing together. And I just thought, this, this. I said, I, I love New York. I love New York. I love New York. Talk about life to the full. Now listen, do you have to love New York? No, you can leave any time you like. It's totally fine. But as a follower of Christ, you do need to figure out how to become content with the blessings that God has given you. Yes, I get there's a lot of transition in a place like this, so there will come times, right times, to come and to go. But we're deciding how to follow the shepherd through it, not allowing ourselves to be blinded and or embittered during that process. I'm not saying it's easy, but be a good sheep and listen how God is leading you. Sometimes you can't see what's right in front of you. Sometimes there's love right in front of you relationships right in front of you, opportunity, hope, service, someone in need right in front of you. And the challenge today is to listen to God's voice to lead us towards what is ahead. Now the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Shepherds are all over the Bible. I mean, we get them in the Old Testament quite a bit. Abel, Abram, Lot, Jacob, Moses, David, uh, Rachel is a female shepherd. Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We know that one. Uh, we read Ezekiel 34 earlier about the bad shepherds. What does Jesus say now? So in John 10, 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. He just lays it down. I'm it. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Here we see again some I am statements. We've talked about this in the past in the Greek, this ego eimi, which is kind of the equivalent of Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible. I am, the great I am. So Jesus here is laying down some real truth bombs. 
I am, that should remind you of God. The good shepherd, that should remind you of all the shepherds of the Old Testament. He's really declaring who he is. Now keep in mind, while the context of John's gospel is Jesus speaking to Jerusalem Jews in the temple, the readers of this book are a couple of generations afterward, and they're a very mixed audience, all right? There's Jews and there's Gentiles. So by now, when they're reading this, this letter, the church is brimming with a lot of new Gentile conversions straight from the Greco-Roman world. And they're trying to figure out the Christian history. And so they're reading the book of John, and they're saying, oh, okay, so that's how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees. And by the way, who are the Pharisees again? They're learning what, like we've had to learn. They're learning about Jesus. Now, because of that, John's also smart to include a lot of little nuggets and cultural references for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So I'm going to get into one big one right here. So a righteous shepherd is one thing for the Jews listening, but this whole good shepherd concept is a whole different thing for the Greco-Roman Gentiles. And here's why. The Greek god Hermes is the protector, guide for souls, and patron god of flocks and shepherds. Hermes is all about them sheep. The ancient, there was an ancient myth that Hermes rescued a village from plague by carrying a lamb on his shoulders around the city walls. And so you see statues like this all over the Greco-Roman world. Um, over here on the left is the good shepherd from 600 years before Jesus walked the earth. We also have statues through Jesus' time and into 3rd and 4th century Rome. According to Homer, Hermes was the son of God, Zeus, and he was a messenger of the gods, and he even helped during creation by making fire, all right? At one point, Hermes actually makes a sacrifice and splits it up 12 ways. You guys starting to get some overlap here? So how did the early church see Jesus? Well, of course, Jesus is the true good shepherd, and he's saying it now, but he's also the better Hermes. There would have been a compare and contrast. He's not just a messenger. He is the message. He is the message of God, and he's equal to God himself, not just son of God. He wasn't just there at the beginning helping out. He helped create everything, right? In Genesis 1, let us make humankind in our image. He's an agent of creation. So what happens in the first century and the second century and third century as the church is starting to build, this good shepherd image starts to get graffitied and tagged all over the place. And what's happening is that it really started in the catacombs. And you guys know what the catacombs are? That's like where they bury people, right? Like down deep underground. And you can go visit some of them. Even now in Rome, you can go visit the catacombs. And what would happen is Christians, uh, a lot of them were blue-collar workers, and they would be down in the catacombs. It was their job to load the bodies and make sure all the ossuaries were taken care of. And what they would do is they would help to decorate. There were guilds that they were hired to help decorate some of the coffins. And so some of the coffins of Christians who had died, they couldn't just put a big cross on there or whatever, and no one was going to depict Jesus at the time. So guess what they put on the coffins? The image of the good shepherd. So we can start finding little things in history. Now, the one on the left here, that's an image of Hermes. Look how similar this image of Jesus is on this clay pot from the early church. It's a, it's a little candle, that hole where the wick comes out. Do you see it in the middle? That's Jesus with the lamb on the shoulders. 
Now, why is this so cool? Well, when you're down in the catacombs, first of all, you're not going to get in much trouble. The imperial police are probably not going to go down there. But if they did, and they found what you were sketching on these coffins and saw your tagging of the, of the good shepherd, what would they assume it's an image of? Hermes, not Jesus. This is super subversive early church art. I think it's fascinating and it's inspiring. We can go deeper down into it, but I'm not going to. I think the good point to, to stop here and think about is how does Jesus inform my life, my art, my work, my relationships? How does faith inform the hours of our weeks outside of the church walls? It's safe in here to talk about Jesus. I get it, it's not always safe, and sometimes we need to take dangerous and risky decisions to share our faith, but are there other ways that we bring the kindness, the love, the image of Christ as a good shepherd into our lives? You get me here? See, we're called to be good sheep, but also imitate the qualities of the good shepherd. This is actually one of my favorites. This is the catacombs of Rome in the fourth century. And you, you can't see the whole picture here, but you have actually the 12 apostles spread out as sheep around Jesus. So it starts to become very obvious. And of course, by this time, Constantine has legalized Christianity. It's important that we learn the lesson to be good sheep, to follow Christ's voice but to also imitate the qualities of the good shepherd. But this is going to come at a price. In verse 11, it says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You might wonder, back to our little story earlier about sheep and how they're like kind of worthless in some ways, why would a good shepherd die for one sheep? If you have a huge flock of hundreds, it seems preposterous that you would go out of your way to die for one sheep. You got a whole bunch of others. Also, you would have to count the cost on chasing a wolf away because maybe another wolf would come in and get the rest of the sheep, right? And then sheep are stupid like we already figured out, and so they can't really do anything for themselves, so you're bound to lose some, right? I almost think about it like the shepherds should just budget the loss uh, into their spreadsheet, kind of like truck drivers when they budget getting parking tickets in the city. It's just like that's part of the game, right? But no, the shepherd sees some incredible individual value in every single sheep. I had to go back and do research to figure out what do you see in a sheep? So here we go. You get all kinds of really cool things from sheep that I didn't realize. Milk and cheese and wool and meat and lanolin and, and rugs and footwear. And actually, if you do the math on it, sheep are like 400% economic gain if you're a shepherd in every situation. In fact, some people clock the numbers of an individual sheep at somewhere around $286,000. Ferrari or sheep? <laughs> the most valuable sheep ever sold was a purebed Texel at this cost. So maybe that's the high end. That's the Ferrari of sheep. The point here is you're worth it. I get it. There's certain things we can't do for ourselves. We get frustrated with ourselves spiritually and our own limitations. We can be like the sheep that runs into the tree and falls off the cliff sometimes, right? And we start getting down on ourselves. And what the shepherd wants to remind you today is that, listen, no matter what the world tells you, no matter what those negative thoughts tell you, you are worth it. Let's say to someone next to us that you're worth it. Say it again. You're worth it. You're worth it. 
You're worth it. You're worth what? You're worth Jesus dying for you. That's pretty awesome. Hopefully that feels good to hear that. But shepherds make sacrifices. You know, um, many of us were at a wedding a few weeks ago. And uh, this is a great picture that I caught of uh, Manny and Rachel coming out. They're an incredible couple. And we love the Coronado family here in our fellowship. They're amazing. We have Caesar and Belkis. And um, anyway, it was a great celebration. And during the reception, uh, the couple, they were making speeches. And it was uh, Manny's time to make a speech. And so I sort of like watching the parents sometimes when they're like watching their kids do certain things. And so I turned my attention over. And this is what I found. Uh, they, Caesar is here in the foreground. Here, I put a little circle. Um, he's over here. And, and he was away from sort of like the table of honor. He was helping someone over here. And then Belkis was also sort of spread out, uh, nestled up between this pillar and this camera. And basically what I figured out is she's translating for one of her guests of honor there at the wedding. And I just thought this was an incredible, I had to take the picture. I'm sorry, wherever you are, Belkis and Caesar, I didn't ask you about this. But I just thought it was such a cool moment where Belkis could easily be like, most parents, right, like taking in every second of Manny's speech and, oh, it is so awesome. And, but she realizes that someone that she really cares about can't understand what's being said. And so she's going to take that moment and decide to be a shepherd and to translate and to help her feel included. In that moment, her guest was worth it. You know, as we close, I want to remind us that we are sheep, and in that way, not to be morbid, but our time is short. And we want to make the most of every opportunity that we have. And if we have a hard time seeing what's right in front of us, we more desperately need the good shepherd to guide our steps. In 1 Peter 2, 24 to 26, it says, By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, if you're not a Christian today, you're visiting with us, you're figuring out your faith, I'm so glad you're with us. We want to invite you to study the Bible, to sit down, to search the Word together, and to find out if what Jesus is saying is true. If you have been studying and wrestling with God for a while, we encourage you to take that next leap of faith to make Jesus Lord of your life, to know true forgiveness forever. For disciples of Jesus, who have been following Christ for a, any length of time, I think our challenge is to share our faith like there's no tomorrow because it's not guaranteed. There's just too many stories of saved souls waiting to be told. Guys like my friend Christian, who I hope to see again, who deserve a shot. I want to close with Jesus' words in John 10, 14 through 18, and then we'll take a moment to meditate and pray through the communion. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Let's pray. God and creator of all things, our Father who hears us, 
and is our good shepherd. We thank you for guiding us. Thank you for the words today of Jesus. Thank you for the guiding light that he provides us because it's often that we feel like we don't know what's right in front of us. We feel blinded. We feel that things are dark before us in our path. But your voice cuts clearly through all the other voices. And we hear it through your word even today, guiding us how to go forward. Help us with our contentment. Help us with our gratitude. Help us to be humble, to hear your voice clearly through the challenges of our life right now, the challenges of relationships, the challenges of finances, the challenges of health, the challenges of distance, the challenge of the unknown in the future. We ask for your voice to be clear, clearer than ever now. Father, as we take a moment to remember the sacred thing that you did for us when you died on the cross and then three days later raised, and as we even look forward to Easter next week to celebrate that in a special way, we want to honor you with this time of meditation right now to help us pray and focus on the body that was broken the blood that was shed. Help us to honor you today and forever as good sheep imitating the good shepherd. We love you and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.